When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Got a love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back, Shalligators. This week, we are talking about change. I feel like a lot is changing right now in the world, you know, I've nine months, like the world's opening back up. And for some of us, it's like tick effing talk. Like when is it really going to happen? But no matter kind of where you are in the getting back to normal stage, things are changing. And that can be difficult on its own because maybe you've gotten used to the way things are. Oh my God, now I have to integrate back into my office, my classroom, going out, dating. Now I have no excuse not to go visit my parents. There's ups and downs to any kind of change. I'm going through a huge change right now, and we're going to talk to one shalligator today who is experiencing sort of, I guess what we could call like a nostalgic change, something I'm going to say catastrophic happened to the love of her life, and she's trying to cope with it. And it's it's a scenario that I think when you hear it, you're going to feel as kicked in the stomach as she does. But before we get started... Let's do our mantra. And our mantra this week is let go and let flow. It's one of those kind of live, laugh, love statements. You know, it's like, oh, is that going to be on like a wooden sign at Home Goods and that God awful turquoise? Maybe. If you want a different kind of spin on this, let go and let God. If that's something that resonates with you, go with it. But one of the central themes that we're going to talk about this week is non-attachment. Non-attachment is the central teaching of all Buddhists and most Eastern philosophies. It's something that I started to learn about when I was like 15. I got really into Taoism. But it's also extremely difficult. It's very easy to say non-attachment when you live in a monastery on the side of a cliff. But when most of us live in a modern world with modern problems and modern possessions, letting go of things is the hardest It's the hardest task of all. Acquisition is easy. It's the letting go where we stumble. So that's going to be our mantra. Let go and let flow. Okay, so we're going to go in through the nose with a breath. That sounded like I want you to like do a PCR test. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Let those shoulders relax. Really say this next one with intention. Focus on your breath. One more time in through the nose. Let go and let flow. Like I said, I'm going through a change right now. Not menopause. (laughs) Did you ever see that Golden Girls episode called The Change? She's going through the change. They mean menopause and it's like weird they couldn't say it in that generation. I'm going through moving. So I 
realized when I <laughs> when I got Cowboy that the house I was living in, it was just not going to quite meet our needs. When I got the house, it was perfect for me, a single chickadee. But, you know, we're outgrowing it. I need some things that are a little bit more puppy conducive. And the house sold way faster than I thought. Way faster. Never a, br- a bad problem. You know, it's always a good thing. But I'm just not quite... I just haven't found another house that I love yet. Like real estate right now in my county is crazy bananas. Like it's this huge bubble. Things are going for like $50,000 above what the asking price is. Do you know that you have to write like a letter? Do you guys know about this? I had no idea. I thought people were kidding. Apparently, when you want to buy a house from someone, you have to write some stupid ass letter about like why me and my family, we're going to make so many memories here. And here's the picture, the macaroni art that little Braxton made. What am I going to do? Hire a family? What? I'm just a single person. Like, sorry. So it's just a crazy market. And like I said, I just haven't found anything that I'm in love with. So instead of rushing to buy something, I'm just, I'm going to rent for a few months. And I'm upset about it. I'm really, really, really upset about it. And everyone's like, honey, it's temporary. Like, my mom was like, you watch all these HGTV shows about house hunters and whatever. And what do all these couples say? Like, well, we're living with our my wife's family right now. Like, it's... She's like, and I love that she knew this. She's like, even Kim Kardashian moved in with Kris Jenner when they were like getting their house renovated. It's okay to be renting. But you know, like after so long in New York City, I was really enjoying having my own space. It was like mine, 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 mine. (sighs) Why am I saying this? Because I don't like this change. I feel like I had really sort of just gotten settled out here. And now it's like the rug is pulled out from under me. I mean by my own hand, I get it. But it's tough. It's really tough. And moving, it doesn't matter who you hire, how much you outsource it. It is the most awful and traumatic, horrible experience you can possibly imagine. And I feel like I've moved a lot. I mean, I have. I've moved a lot. And so I'm pretty good at it. But it's just, it's never any less awful. So I'm really trying to work through these feelings as they're happening and trying to see like, okay, like where I'm going to be living is nice, but it's not, again, like it just doesn't feel like this is my personal choice. Like this is not on my terms, my circumstance. And one of my friends, she's like, who the hell told you life is always going to be on your terms and circumstance? Don't you wish you had friends like that? Nope. And it was such a splash of cold water. And I'm like, oh, 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 well, Okay, yeah. She's like, honestly, think about it. What in life truly is like your choice, your choice, your choice? She's like, I mean, the little things are like, do you want pizza or do you want salad? Do you want this car? Do you want that car? But even those things come within like a framework of availability. Okay, yeah, you're not deciding between like a Kia Rio and a Bentley SUV. You're deciding between like the two cars that are in your price range, right? So even when you think, oh, this was my specific choice, it really wasn't. There were always factors informing you to push that choice narrower and narrower. I was like, well, this is actually a much more depressing conversation because now I don't think I've ever had a specific choice in my life. And she's like, but that's the point. You haven't. I mean, you... You think, what you think of as like very purposeful choice in the changes that have come about your life really aren't as autonomous as you think. That's the good part, actually, because you've always rolled with it. You've always made the best of it. And you've always actually 
Overall, when you look at your life, taking steps up, better cars, better houses, cooler friendships, hotter boyfriends, right? It's always gone upwards. So why do you think this time is any different? And it really made me think. And it made me think a lot about what she was saying, like the narrowness of availability in terms of choice that exacts change. And I thought, okay, well, no, like it was my choice where I went to college. And then I'm thinking, well, I mean, it was the best school I got into, Cal Poly was. And, you know, I went off to college at 18, like most of us do, not because I was genuinely, genuinely ready. I don't even know what ready even looks like. You know, when we're that age, it's like we're ready for everything and we're also ready for nothing. But I went because that's what I told myself I, I was supposed to do, right? You tell yourself in fifth grade when summer hits, like, okay, I'm going into sixth grade now. You don't question the fact that this change is coming. You're rolling with it. This is simply how it is. But when we get to be adults, we're off that track. I've said, I mean, forever, that the year after you graduate college truly is the worst year of your life. It was by far, by far the worst year of my life. It was awful. I had no idea where I wanted to take my life. Well, that's not true. I knew exactly where I wanted to take it, but I was afraid to admit it to myself. So I just kind of kept running in circles, right? And I no longer had this sort of logistical conveyor belt moving me through life. Well, now you're going into the 12th grade. Well, now you're going into college. Well, now you're taking finals. It's like suddenly I had to do everything myself. And therefore, I had to confront the reality that, wait, holy shit, I don't want to do any of these things. I don't want to make any of these changes. This is, this is horrible. This is so scary. And for some reason, moving like kicks up all of that for me. It's like a pure existential crisis. Even if I love where I'm moving, even if I hate where I'm leaving, it's still just so intense. So I'm trying to approach it a little bit differently this time. And what I'm trying to do first and foremost is give myself grace. And this is step one to dealing with change. Because like I said, things are changing a lot right now. Maybe you're vaccinated and you're just like, why won't the world open up? This is so unfair. I have this fucking vaccine. Why do I still have to wear a mask? Why can't I go do whatever I want? Maybe you're on the opposite end. You don't want to get a vaccine. Why are people making you stay home? Wherever you are, wherever your hometown is, whatever is going on, some part of you is feeling maybe a little bit anxious. Maybe you're frustrated at the rest of the world. You know, maybe you're frustrated at your town. Maybe things are very open. I mean, Montana is like 100% open for business. We pretty much always have been. There's just so few of us in this whole state, right? We have the third lowest population density in all of America. One person, I'm sorry, seven people per square mile in this state. By contrast, New Jersey has 1,400 people per square mile. So so you might be facing, like I said, the, the now very real inevitability of, hey man, time to get back out there. And it's so unfair because I know so many of us feel like we just kind of adjusted to lockdown. We just adjusted to like the new normal. God, don't you hate that phrase? It makes me insane. And now it's like, wait, 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 record scratch. Everything's changing again, but not really going back totally to normal. It's some weird new bullshit version. And you're like, what the fuck? Like some of you and some of my friends have said that they're like, I would almost just rather be in quarantine 100% than have this like semi open. We can dine outside, even though it's 35 degrees and you have to make a reservation. They're like, it's just, it's too much. And I understand that because 
We as human beings, the gray area of emotion and availability is the tricky part, right? The gray area of a relationship. Well, are we or aren't we together? Does he like me or not? Not really all that fun. We want to know he's not into me or we are getting married, right? We want to know black and whites. It's a survival thing. If we don't really know what's behind that bush that's growling and shaking, ah, that could go bad. We want to know exactly what we're dealing with. And this is not the best time for that in terms of where we're at in the world. So we got to kind of find ways to be good with this in and of ourselves. Because you know what? I've said this since the beginning of the pandemic. Shit like this is going to happen. I mean, maybe not a pandemic. I honestly don't think we'll have another one. Because I've been alive for like a thousand years. And we haven't had a previous one. So I don't think we're going to have another one. I don't know. Hopefully I'm right. Because I like to be right. But in this case, it'd be better for all of us if I was right. But we're going to have something else big. Maybe it'll be something globally that's big. Maybe it'll be another war. Maybe it'll be a hurricane. Maybe it'll just be something in our lives that's big. Someone gets sick. Someone gets married. Oh my God, it's a pregnancy. Oh my gosh, we got deployed over here. There's a new job opportunity in Kenya. Things are going to come our way that we are not necessarily ready for. The difference between a happy and healthy person and an unhealthy, neurotic, failure to launch victim narrative person is resiliency. Resiliency. Resiliency, truly, and this is truly how neurosis is defined. You know, we all know that term, like, oh, they're so neurotic. And like, we all think of like the characters on Seinfeld, just like so neurotic. But very few of us can actually define neuroses. Like, what, what does that mean? It typically means someone who is not very resilient. They cannot roll with the punches. What do you mean I can't back into this parking space? Right? If you go into Seinfeld and you look at the most insane neurotic characters, it's because they're not resilient. They cannot just go with the flow. Let go and let God. It has to be this way or the highway. Well, bitch, it's the highway. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know, but it is going to be the highway. And if we look at our friends who are neurotic, like I have an incredibly neurotic friend and she is the least elastic and resilient person. She cannot just roll with the punches. And that is, hey, we're at brunch. We're just feeling good. Let's just go to Rite Aid, get some lipstick, get some dry shampoo and fuck it. We're going to go to a club. She can't do it. She can't do it. It doesn't matter if there's nothing else on her schedule. She can't just relax and go with the flow. And conversely, when I think of the happiest people in my life, truly the healthiest, the most fun, the biggest achievers, the people who are the most adventurous and outgoing, they're the most elastic. Hell yeah, let's get in a plane. Sure, I'll try that food. Don't worry about it, brother. We can reschedule. Now, it's not to say these people have a lack of boundaries and they might be inconvenienced by something. They might not secretly like it, but they let it go. Being resilient does not mean you don't feel feelings about things. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm like a jellyfish. I'm just, I'm here and I'm there. No, no, no. You have feelings, but you don't let them consume you. You give grace to the situation. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? It means don't apply a story. We talk a lot about the difference between pain and suffering, right? Pain is inevitable. You get dumped, right? This is, this is the pain that so many of us encounter. The suffering is the story you apply to the pain. It's not just, I got dumped and my heart is broken and I miss him, right? That's pain. Suffering is, 
I got dumped because I'm fat. I'm disgusting. Why would any, why would I think someone would like me? Look at me. I'm a fucking goblin, just like my little sister said. That's suffering. Now, which one hurts more? Which one do we stay stuck on more? In some ways, death is, is easier. I don't want to say death is easier to deal with, but there is less of that story applied. Your grandmother passes away. You don't think you had a hand in this, right? The suffering though you might apply to it is, I didn't spend enough time with her. I didn't tell her how much she meant to me. I didn't call her every Sunday like she wanted me to, right? And then the guilt kicks in and then you stay stuck and the grieving goes on and on and on. So when you give yourself grace, you get to just feel what you feel. And I have been hard on myself with this move because I'm like, Shallon, Jesus, you're moving from one great place to another. As you wait to buy yet a different great place, you're so fucking fortunate. And yet, what are you doing all day? Complaining about boxes. By the way, like the entirety of my county is moving right now. Movers are all booked up. There's not even boxes at Home Depot. Like I'm hoarding boxes. Brown gold, baby. <laughs> I'm just like, mine. I'm like Gollum, like a dragon sitting on her cardboard treasure. Anyway, and I'm trying to not apply. I'm trying to be grateful, you know, and like just give myself that eyedropper full of shame that we talk about. It's like, hey, girl, just shut the fuck up. Like you're fine. This is a headache and it's an inconvenience. You are not Nelson Mandela here. Get down off the cross. We all need the wood. But I'm also trying to go to the other side, like, hey, girl, I know this is tough. You still have boxes you hadn't unpacked from New York and you really loved this house. You loved this house. But you know what? Every place you lived, you've loved. And this is not the only place you're going to find that you love. And something bigger and better always has been on the horizon. When you look back, steps have always gone forward. You might take two steps backward, but you take five steps forward. That's okay. So I try to give myself a little bit of elasticity there. And when we can start in our mind and be a little gentle with ourselves, we are more prone to embracing that elasticity ourselves. Okay, you're right. Thank you. It is hard. But you know what? I'm a survivor. I don't know why this is like my inner voice. Why did I just do that voice? It's like my own inner monologue. That's not what I sound like. I don't know what I sound like, but it's not that. <laughs> but when I can embrace that elasticity. Things get a lot easier. The next thing you're going to do if you're trying to deal with some change in your life, reach out to other people. Adversity is the thing that binds us, right? Support groups, Facebook groups, like just sitting at lunch and kvetching over things that we have in common and complaining, right? Like truly complaining is like the glue that binds so many of us. Like as friends, like, I mean, it is, you know, we're bitching about boys, we're bitching about our moms. And I want you to, again, take just an eyedropper full of that and reach out to people who are going through the same thing. I guarantee you, whatever you're going through, honey, ain't nothing new under the sun. We always think that our pain is so unique. Nobody's dealing with what I'm dealing with. No, nobody's doing it. You don't get it. Really? Really? You might be dealing with a lot of anxiety over the pandemic. Or, or maybe not. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety of school. Whatever. Whatever it might be. Do you honestly think there's nobody on earth who is going through the same thing? And 
with this like interconnected world we live in with the internet, like we can find people who are connected. We can find people who are having this experience. And truly, I really, really want to encourage you guys to check out the Shalligator Reddit thread. That's where I get the questions from this. It's This isn't an ad. It's not like I make money off of it. But it's such a good place for you guys to connect. You come from all over the world and you post things that you're dealing with or going through. And there's, I don't think there's ever been a post on there that didn't get a reply. No one is like, um... I can't relate to you at all. I don't get it. It's like, oh my God, girl, that same kind of thing happened to me. I get the feeling. I get where you're coming from. I'm pinging up the same empathy for you. Next, I want you to look for some silver linings. And it's tough. I know that. I know that. But you know what? Like I said at the beginning of this pandemic, <laughs> we can find this hurt ourselves if we don't, right? Because it's happening. It's underway. Me moving, it's happening. School starting, it's happening. This diagnosis, it's happening. So we can either bitch and complain and scream at how unfair it is. Righteously so. Righteously so. Not that we're wrong, but look, we can be right or we can be happy. Where does being right honestly get us at the end of the day? Like, have you ever gotten like a cash prize for it? I haven't. I just sat there angrier because I'm like now so aware of how right I am, but I'm not, I'm not happier. I'm actually less resilient. I'm less elastic because I've dug my heels into like, no, this shouldn't be happening. This isn't fair. This is not fair. Does anyone else see how unfair this is? Yeah, bitch, everyone does. Okay, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. It's like, so I was out of town for a long time and my post office, I had it signed up to hold my mail. Simple thing. Just hold it. What do these motherfuckers do? They threw it away. They threw away six weeks of mail. They threw it away. I'm like, there's a reason the term going postal exists. You, know, you ever heard that term? It's from the 90s because some dude went and shot up a post office. And you're like, okay. Mm, and I got in the car and I wanted to scream. Well, no, that's not true. I wanted to drive my truck through the front of the post office. And for a second, you're like, I bet I could do it. <laughs> you know? I bet I could do it and throw it in reverse before anyone realizes I did it. But instead, I was just like, oh, well. Let go and let flow. What are you going to do? Even though I had every right to be mad. I was right. What kind of dumb bitch throws someone's fucking mail out? It's fine. I'm over it. But I decided not to let it ruin my day. I decided to switch gears. I decided to go get my dog, wrestle around with him. And it was tough. It was not easy. It's so much easier to get in a negative spiral than a positive one. But in the past... When I have had these issues, and many of them have been with the post office, and I've just, I've dug my heels and it's like, but I'm right. Then there's no room for happiness. There isn't. There's only room for that bitterness. Life is not about avoiding the post office fiascos of the world. It's about finding a way to roll with it. It's about finding a way to get up even when it knocks you down. That is grit. And studies overwhelmingly show that grit is the foundation of happiness. Grit and gratitude, honestly. If you can practice resilience, because grit means getting up when you get knocked down, stick to tenacity, along with gratitude, bitch, you are bulletproof. You really, really are. And again, this isn't saying that you're never going to be sad again. Nothing's going to make you unhappy. This is not toxic positivity, which I despise. It's cool. I love it. I'm so blessed. Yay. Fuck that shit. No. Horrible things happen. We feel 
horribly, but because we are women who are determined to be happy and not victims, we feel the pain, we do not add suffering. We have the thing that happened, the tragedy, the diagnosis, the setback, the bad break. We do not add a negative story to that, a self-blame story. Last year, when I was getting canceled, I mean, it was tough. It was really tough. And it was very easy to go into a victim narrative, right? But what I did all day long, I mean, from the second I opened my eyes to the second I shut them, was listen to Joel Osteen podcasts. Now, if you guys aren't religious, that's fine. And I talk about Joel Osteen a lot because, you know, I'm like medium religious. Like Jesus is cool. He's cool, of course. He's chill. But it's not really just whatever. To me, he's just a, the character that they're using, like a fox and a hound, a tortoise and a hare, a Kylie Jenner, whatever. But Joel Osteen's message, I like it because he's all about adding a positive story to something bad, which is not in our nature. You know, we just, you get in that negative spiral. Again, a righteous one. You, of course, something's unfair. No, that shouldn't have happened to you. But his story, his, I'm sorry, his message is not, yeah, fuck that shit. Why did God do this to you? It's, this is not a setback. This is a setup. Hey, that job you didn't get, maybe you dodged a bullet. That was the hand of God keeping you out of harm's way. And you might not know what it is and you might never know, but you just have to believe that happened for the best. And it's hard to embrace that at first because you're like, <laughs> really, me not getting that job that I desperately needed was like somehow a good thing because now I'm broke, okay? That's where the faith comes in and it's tough. And this is also why I envy the religious, you know, because it comes so much more naturally to them. And when we talk about silver linings of setbacks, a lot of things do have a silver lining. This pandemic that had a silver lining of, hey, we don't have to be out. We can, we can learn about what works for us. We can gather data like, do I miss being social? Which friends have really been helpful for me and optimistic and, and beneficial? Which have been neurotic and pessimistic and really brought me down? What do I want out of my life? What do I need? But there's some things that don't have a silver lining. Things like death. Things like illness. And this is where religion kicks in. You know, and I'm, I'm very respectful and envious of that. That's fantastic. One of my friends, we went to elementary school together and her son died of cancer. Ugh, I mean, it gets me choked up even like speaking on it. She's Mormon. She's very religious. And she's like, you know, he's with Heavenly Father. I know that he's in a good place. And that is so wonderful that she has that to default to and, and know. And that's, that's fantastic. So even if we aren't religious, that's okay. We can take, again, that eyedropper full and say, how can I sprinkle a little of that faith onto this circumstance? Okay, I don't feel great about this. I feel anxious, not ready. Blah. Hmm, but what if... What if I just tried to reframe this? This is an experiment. What if I was like, oh, okay. Um, this is actually a good thing. Ah, uh, why? Why is it a good thing? Well, honey, why is it? This is the work you need to do. Faith can only get us so far. Even something like a medical diagnosis, you know, because I was talking to one of you guys, you submit questions to me on my website, challenlesser.com. And she was going through a really tough health situation. And I'm like, and she's like, I've, I've lost everything. I've like lost my fiance. I lost my job. I lost the house I was living with. I'm back with my parents. I'm like, okay, well, what's the silver lining here? Like, what, what have you gained though? And I 
didn't say that to be an asshole or a toxic positivity or I said that because that's literally the only thing to do. That's the only thing to do. You can't force that diagnosis to be different. You can't force a man to come back or get a house back or force your parents to not be crazy and awful. What can you force? Well, I can force myself to read a book a week. Well, I can force myself to spend more time talking to my grandmother on the phone. I can spend more time applying for law school, studying for the LSAT. There has to be something we can get positive out of what we view as negative change. Remember at the beginning I said non-attachment. Oh my God, fucking non-attachment. It sounds so easy when the Dalai Lama says it. Like it sounds so easy. Yeah, just like don't be attached to anything. I'm just going to go home and like throw everything out. And then you start going through your like bath and body works candles. And you're like, oh, but this one, I can't throw it away. Oh, but that cord. Ah, but that salt packet that breaks apart in the middle. I can't just get rid of that one, right? It all sounds so simple until you have to do it. But look at the ways you've already done it. This is my next point about change. When we feel frightened of what's next. And I talked to a lot of you guys about trusting. Trusting again. I got dumped and it was awful and it took me a year to recover from and I'm afraid to get back out there. I'm like, why are you afraid to get back out there? Because you've already been through, as you say, the worst possible situation you could have dealt with. A divorce, a ghosting, a cheating, whatever. And honey, honey baby girl, you're still here. You're still here. Yeah, but it almost killed me. Okay, well, the word there is almost. It didn't kill you. It didn't. So what have we learned? The worst, honey, it don't even make a dent. Maybe it does make a dent, but now we're defaulting to the grit. Now we're defaulting to the resilience. We're picking ourselves up, dusting ourselves off, saying, you know what? Life did its worst and I'm still here. I'm a little battered. I'm a little bruised. I'm sad it happened, but... I am not applying a story to it. I got cheated on. Okay. He's a shitbird. Great. Yep. That's true. I'm not applying the story of, and every other guy's going to cheat on me because I'm a, because I'm an idiot. That's why that guy cheated on me because I'm unlovable. No, 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 no. I got cheated on and uh, I can never find anyone good. I mean, I thought he loved me and he didn't. So, I mean, there's no other man out there. Why are you applying that story? To be a victim? I don't think so. That's... Not what we do here. So at this point, I want to read to you something that's going on with Michelle. So remember when I said that when you hear this, you're going to feel punched in the stomach too? Oh my God. Change is like a horrible splash effect. Change happens to someone else and we are impacted by it. Now that's something we don't talk about very often. What do we do when someone else has some sort of crisis or thing and it's just like this, we're in like the drop zone and it's awful. Okay. This shalligator says, my ex is having a baby. I just found out today that my ex of three years is having a baby and I feel sick to my stomach. We've been broken up for nine months now. And the girl he got pregnant, this is definitely six months or over. I was 19 when we first got together and he was 22. He's my first love and my first boyfriend. 
we always talked about kids, but it was something that, you know, he wasn't ready for, even if it was to happen by mistake. The weird thing is that the last two months, he's been doing subtle things that was making me think he wanted me back. Not that I wanted him back. I'm in a happy relationship. So I'm not sure why I'm so upset over it. I feel like it's just another slap in the face because I spent three years of my life with someone who I thought I knew. Oh my God. I, like my stomach did a flip when I read this. This is truly my worst nightmare. And it's something that I've had to kind of confront lately because I don't know if you guys saw my video on Flays. Go check them out. It's like where I do sexy times, I mean, <laughs> sex tips and story times and stuff like that, that, you know, YouTube really won't let us talk about. It's just a little bit more intimate. You can click the link down there in the show's description. But I've kind of realized I don't want kids. At least where I am in my life right now, I do not want them. And the, you know, the next realization is I'm going to have to watch all my exes have kids then. <laughs> it's kind of like being immortal. You have to watch everyone else die. <laughs> That's sort of how it feels, especially because I date younger guys. Like if I was dating other dudes my age and they don't have kids, like they might not want them either, you know, but if you date 24 year olds, 26 year olds, like, yeah, they're probably going to go on to have kids. Most people do, especially dudes. It's like no skin off a guy's back. Oh, I get to fuck. And then I have this like air. Woo. And I've thought like one by one, like how awful it will be like to hear, like to get that phone call. Like I met someone, we're having a baby. It's just, oh my God. Like it just, it just makes me fucking sick. And I was also driving around town today. And I thought I, I saw this truck that looked like my ex's truck and there was this girl driving it. And I, for, for a second, like I froze, like my blood curdled in my veins. And I thought, oh my God, that's some girl driving his truck. He's got a girlfriend. And it wasn't, it wasn't him. It wasn't his car, whatever. But I had to step into the reality that like one day it will be. One day I will probably run into him with someone who's not me and I will have to pretend like I'm not going to cry and I will go to the bathroom and I'll have to sneak out the back and like pull the fire alarm. It's going to be a whole fucking thing. But it's like, it's not always, the, the trauma of change isn't always when you change, it's when something else changes. It's when someone else moves into a different phase of their life. Not even you moving. Because at least when it's you moving into a different phase, you're having the baby, you're getting engaged, you're going off to law school. You're doing it like you ostensibly have some sort of say in what's going on. And therefore you can come up with the silver lining when it's someone else's baby. Fuck that. You fuck that pregnancy. Oh, my God. Like I'm thinking about the shalligator and I'm just like horrified for her. But let's break this down. If this chick is six months pregnant, and you broke up nine months ago. That that means he like was on his like shagging spree, his like post breakup shagging spree and was like, oh, fuck. Oh, damn it. He clearly had forgotten how condoms work in the last three years that he dated you. And he just knocked some chick up. He just knocked a chick up. Let me tell you this. A baby doesn't make a man love a woman. I mean, we wish it did, right? Baby to save the marriage. I, I would always loathe having to write those stories for Star because I'm like, you, we all can we all can agree here in this boardroom that that is like not a thing. A baby does not save a marriage. <laughs> all the guys who were the ones in charge are like, oh, no, they're the worst. Kids are the worst. They ruin your marriage. I'm like, yeah, dude, they ruin your nipples. So shut the fuck up about your marriage. 
the number one time a man cheats on a woman, studies show, is when she's pregnant. Because it's like, they feel like their life is sort of coming to a close. Her, her focus completely shifts away from the man, away from their relationship, away from sex and pleasing him and focuses on this baby. The old saying goes, a woman becomes a mother when she finds out she's pregnant. A man becomes a father when the baby's actually born. So a mom is like 10 months ahead of the guy in terms of parenthood. She's already like in mom mode, obviously. You know, she's just stating this little thing, this tiny little parasite swimming around, feeding off its host. How precious, yay, what a blessing. So I'm telling you that because if you think, oh, suddenly he's in this fantastic loving relationship just because this girl's pregnant. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, but he's in a new phase of life now and it's so, it's so painful. It's just so painful. So I'm not surprised that he's been like sort of throwing little pebbles at your emotional window, making it seem like he misses you. (laughs) I'm sure he does miss you. I'm sure he's like six to nine months ago, my life was totally different. I had a hot, perky-tittied shalligator of a girlfriend. Beautiful alpha female. I was focused on my life, my girlfriend's life. Now, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to that baby. Now, this chick who I met at TGI Fridays uh, is going to be in my life forever. Now, I can't move to Maui or Scotland or do whatever. I have to be where this baby is forever. (laughs) honey I should say he does miss you and of course this is making you feel some type of way of course this is making you twisted you know because nine months is nothing nine months is the blink of an eye it really is to break up with someone I mean it it's nothing and to have them be in such a different phase it's like nine months we're still in the sort of not fantasizing about getting back together but the door really is in most cases it's it's open in some way like if someone came back and they came correct and they were telling you everything that you had hoped they would realize and wanted to hear and all of the changes had been made there you would hear them out you would be the one going to TGI Fridays with them right so this is just so difficult and I do think it's interesting that she's like (laughs) I thought I knew him this, this is not you don't know him. This is he doesn't know himself. He doesn't understand consequences and behaviors. He clearly doesn't understand like insemination. Okay, why well, learn that around sixth grade? That's fine. This is, this is like growing up with a very real, real, real consequence, you know? And I know that there's the layer of, well, he didn't want kids even if it was an accident. I mean, the subtext there is like, you know, he'd want you to like not have the baby or whatever. And I'm sure you're thinking like, so what the fuck is so special about this girl? Did he look at her and was like, hey, you're you're my future wife. You're the mother of my children. Not this girl who I was with for three years who I know inside and out. You, TGI Friday stranger. I mean, the underlying feeling is rejection. Why not me? Why her? Well, I mean, let's get actually just realistic. It's not up to him whether or not she has that baby. He definitely could have been like, please abort this thing. And she's like, no. And what's he going to do? Throw it down a flight of stairs? Probably not. So don't look at the, don't look at what's happening on paper. Don't look at the social mask of the situation, as we can say. You know, like whatever Instagram she might post. Do not look at that. That is not 
what's going on behind the surface. It's not. If it is, if this guy really is capable of falling for some chick, he's truly known for what, 90 days before getting her pregnant? That's at the, that's at the longest. That's at the absolute longest he's known her. If he met her later that day when you guys broke up, I mean, no. Like, he knew her for three months before knocking her up? No fucking chance. No chance. He probably knew her 15 minutes before he got her pregnant. If he is that dude, though, God, you dodged a bullet. You dodged a major bullet. And you know what? You dodged a bullet anyway. Because the fact of the matter is he's having a baby with someone else and he is still contacting you. And on one hand, it's like, huh, good. But I feel sorry for that chick. Like, she might not know that. She might. I mean, they might be completely on the same page. Hey, we're going to co-parent. This was a crazy drunken accident. You know, whatever. But I don't know, man. Very few, very few of us really at the end of the day want to raise a baby totally on our own. Wouldn't we rather have a partner who's plugged in and excited and rubbing your feet and gushing to all his friends and buying the cigars in the delivery room, Right? I mean, we make the best of it. And certainly there's a ton of silver linings to having a baby on your own. Like, no bullshit. You can outsource that foot rub, honey. But again, that's the elasticity. That is the resiliency that we have to cultivate. But like I said, at the end of the day, it's, we all picture that happy family. We picture moving into a phase of our life with someone next to us who really wants to be there. He doesn't. Where does he want to be? I don't know. Maybe he wants to be with you. Maybe with her. Maybe neither. Maybe both. I don't think he knows. Until he does know, stay away from him. Cut contact. Be like, you know what? You've got a lot on your plate right now. I don't feel like playing therapist for you. I can't. I got my own shit. I'm 19 years old. Tits are perky. You, let's talk in a year. You get a grip on fatherhood. Tell me how this goes. Whatever, whatever. You do not need to be his therapist. I have several friends who have gotten involved with married men, guys with girlfriends, and you know when they've all gotten involved with them? When the wife or the girlfriend was pregnant. Yeah, it's bad. That's when guys cheat and they play to my friend's heartstrings like, you, man, you just understand me. Also, my friend's like footloose and fancy free. They're the embodiment of everything this guy is like craving. He doesn't want to be locked down at, which is so insane. Like, do you know how insemination happens? This was not an accident, my dude. Like, you have to know. Men are such trash. Talk about parasites feeding off their host, right? So my heart goes out to you, my little shalligator. I know that this is so tough. And it really, like, it takes your breath away when you get news like this. It's really gnarly. And I've just had this, like, awful premonition that I'm going to have news like that. I don't know. Maybe from my ex-husband or... I don't know, but it's, it's always just sort of the specter. But the only thing worse than dealing with unwanted change is not dealing with unwanted change, is dealing with change that hasn't happened yet, fighting imaginary monsters in your mind, right? Fighting battles that have not yet come to pass. That's the definition of anxiety. And we can't go there either. And it's difficult because we kind of want to like sort of inhabit a space of like, Okay, well, how would I deal with this? How would I deal with this? Well, like I said, you know what? I'm like, someday I'll see my ex with a new chick and I'm going to have a fucking meltdown. Why can't I imagine something positive? Someday I'm going to see my ex with a new chick and I'm going to see how bloated and fat he is and be like, 
<laughs> and I'm going to look at the six foot four inch Hemsworth on my arm and be like, honey, let's go. <laughs> right? Let's go back to our ranch, right? We got to feed the horses. The helicopter's taking off tomorrow to take us to Yellowstone. Why can't I have that as a positive fantasy? My point is, if you're going to fight these imaginary monsters in your mind, make sure you're winning. If you're going to inhabit these worst case scenarios, flip them into a best case scenario. Oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to work and see all my coworkers in. My boss is going to be like, damn girl, you've done an awesome job this past year. Let's give you a promotion and a bonus. <gasps> oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to campus and suddenly be around all these people and realize that, oh my God, there's so many more cute guys at this school than I ever realized. And you know what? I love learning in real life. I think I'm going to double major. This is fun. I love being back in the classroom. Let's cultivate those positive spirals. Let's cultivate that elasticity. Let's cultivate that resilience. And therefore, let's cultivate happiness. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com. And be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.